Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A lot of people see me as just a talking head on CNN. And I tell you, I love that part of my life, but most people don't know. Long before I was at CNN, I graduated from Yale Law School in 1993, and I immediately went to work in the Bay Area in California on criminal justice reform. Now, this is 20 years ago when this was not a popular topic. In fact, both Democrats and Republicans had signed on to a lot of tough laws like the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1994, also known as the Clinton Crime Bill. Uh, That included... Uh, three strikes and you're out, uh, mandated life sentences for criminals convicted of a violent felony after two or more prior convictions. On sexual predators, it cuts the FBI, it cuts the Drug Enforcement Administration. People who Vote. commit crimes should be caught, convicted, and Tough punished. Laws on punishment. Smart laws on law, prevention. You will vote your out will be the law of the land. The penalty for killing a law enforcement. And I felt like I was fighting both political parties, all uphill, no resources, trying to prevent what ultimately became mass incarceration. This was a tough, tough set of battles that really defined my young adulthood. So to see the country, you know, coming around in some ways, it's bittersweet for me. Because I was saying this stuff 20, 25 years ago and working very hard as a young lawyer to stop it. Now you got both political parties saying we got to do something about our criminal justice system. We got too many people in prison for too long. They're coming home too broken. It's not working. Prison entries for nonviolent offenders by reforming drug policies, focusing on treatment and rehabilitation and not just incarceration for incarceration. I think a good place to start is with the things we make illegal. There is racism in our criminal justice system. There has been racism in our criminal justice system for a long time, and we must pledge to fix it. But it's a very big first step. Today, I'm thrilled to announce my support for this bipartisan bill that will make our community safer and give former inmates a second chance at life after they have served their time. So important. And I have to tell you, I was called when I announced and when we all announced together this news conference laws are being passed the conversation is starting to change people running for office say they want to move in a better and a smarter direction so we got a chance as a country to do something different so i wanted to seize this opportunity to have a conversation with some of the individuals who are on the front lines of this turning point who are on the front lines of trying to make a difference in the lives of people who have been on the receiving end of an awful lot of punishment from our criminal justice system. For this podcast, I convened two different roundtable discussions. The first was with NMI Chetiar from NYU's Brennan Center for Justice, Jessica Jackson, a co-founder with me of Cut50, and Phaedra Ellis-Lampkins, who is a co-founder and CEO of a tech company called Promise. 
For the second roundtable, I was joined by Shaka Singor of the Anti-Recidivism Coalition, Topeka K. Sam, who's the founder of Ladies of Hope Ministries, and Brian Lovins of Justice System Partners, who earned a PhD in criminology. Together, we're going to explore what is behind the staggering number of individuals locked up in the criminal justice system and discuss solutions to what has become a national epidemic. This is Incarceration Incorporated, and I'm your host, Van Jones. From 1957 to 1974, the number of prisoners in state and federal institutions remained fairly constant, about 200,000 to 220,000 each year. However, in 1975, the incarceration rate began to increase, ballooning to over 1.5 million in the mid-2000s. That is a seven-fold increase, or about 700% over 30 years. For comparison, the U.S. population only increased about 37% during those same three decades. And that's just the number of people locked up in state and federal prisons. If we add in local jails, the number of incarcerated individuals was even higher, peaking in the late 2000s at about 2.3 million. Although the numbers have come down slightly over the past decade, there are still over 2.2 million incarcerated folks in America. According to the most recent data from the DOJ's Bureau of Justice Statistics, in 2017, just under 1.5 million individuals were incarcerated in state and federal prisons, with an additional three-quarters of a million held in local jails. Another way of measuring the incarceration is to look at the prison population rate. That is, for every 100,000 people in a country, how many are behind bars? According to the World Prison Brief, a database that compiles information on prison systems throughout the world, with a rate of 655 incarcerated people for every 100,000 residents, the U.S. has the highest prison population rate in the world. In other words, when it comes to locking up people, we are number one. So how did the land of the free transform into the home of the incarcerated? I began by asking Jessica Jackson of Cut 50 to help explain how we got here. So unfortunately, starting in the 80s, there were a series of really bad laws that were passed in response to some crimes that were committed uh, that were very high profile. One of the high profile crimes that Jessica's referring to was committed by Willie Horton, and it was famously recounted in a pro-Bush ad during the 1988 presidential contest between George H.W. Bush, Bush and Michael Dukakis. Dukakis. On crime. Bush supports the death penalty for first-degree murderers. Dukakis not only opposes the death penalty, he allowed first-degree murderers to have weekend passes from prison. One was Willie Horton, who murdered a boy in a robbery, stabbing him 19 times. Despite a life sentence, Horton received 10 weekend passes from prison. Horton fled, kidnapped a young couple, stabbing the man and repeatedly raping his girlfriend. Weekend prison passes. Dukakis on crime. These laws uh, ended up locking up communities, entire communities, uh, across the country and spiraled uh, to the point where legislators thought in order to be elected, 
they had to be tough on crime and seen as tough on crime. For many politicians, being tough on crime meant waging a war on drugs. The war on drugs is not the only driver behind the surge in mass incarceration in the United States, but it certainly has been one of the defining aspects. In 1971, President Nixon declared drug abuse to be, quote, public enemy number one in the United States. Four decades later, the war on drugs is still going on, with over one million drug possession arrests each year, and drug offenses accounting for every one in five incarcerated individuals, according to the Prison Policy Initiative, a nonprofit, nonpartisan research group. But the war on drugs has been waged unevenly, with African Americans disproportionately bearing the brunt of its policies and its police practices. In 1986, President Reagan signed into law the Anti-Drug Abuse Act. It created starkly different mandatory minimum penalties for crack cocaine versus powder cocaine possession. America's children, and while drug and alcohol abuse cuts across all generations, it's especially damaging to the young people on whom our future depends. Drugs are menacing our society. They're killing our children. From the beginning of our administration... The penalty for possessing crack which was much more heavily used in poorer communities and communities of color, was much more severe than the penalty for cocaine possession, which was more common among white drug users. Here's another example. Cited in a 2016 report from the research and advocacy nonprofit called The Sentencing Project, they concluded that even though there is no evidence that African Americans use drugs at a higher rate than whites, blacks are nearly four times as likely to be arrested for drug offenses. Looking at the decade from 1995 to 2005, during the height of mass incarceration, African Americans, although only 13% of all drug users, were 46% of total drug convictions. But racial disparities actually permeate every part of the U.S. criminal justice system, according to the 2019 World Report by Human Rights Watch. And when we take the racial disparities in drug sentencing, add other documented racial bias within the criminal justice system, including racial profiling by law enforcement, racial inequities and prosecutorial decisions, we get startling results. Despite making up only 13% of the nation's population, African Americans are nearly 40% of the total incarcerated population. And as of 2017, the imprisonment rate among black men was nearly six times that of white men. Or, as NMI, who is the Justice Program Director at NYU's Britain Center for Justice, puts it. Mass incarceration is probably the biggest racial justice issue facing the country. Not only is it the sheer size of the population, so our prison population is larger than the population of 16 states put together. It's also that there are so many black and brown people that are caught up in the system. And this drives a poverty to prison cycle and really is what is one of the core contributors of racial inequality in the United States. So you have um, the systematic underemployment, unemployment, poverty, housing issues, education, all reinforced by this cycle of not having opportunity and ending up in prison. And then once you get out, not having the opportunity to get a second chance either. 
the biggest racial justice issue facing the country. Take a second for that to sink in. Makes you wonder, who else is disproportionately bearing the burden of mass incarceration? And if the U.S. has enacted legislation and devoted resources to these policies for over four decades, well, it must be working, right? Well, we're going to answer those questions when we get back after this break. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life, lately we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. I think about the fact that where I was growing up, I always thought about it as like mamas who were hustlers who had to survive. And so I think about it very personally mm. and about the lack of opportunity for our folks and in the places that I grew up. That was Phaedra Ellis Lampkins. She's the co-founder and CEO of Promise. That's a tech company aiming to reform the bail system. When I ask her to paint a picture of mass incarceration, that's who comes to mind. That's who she thinks about. And contrary to what folks may think, there are a lot of mamas in the system. In fact, a 2005 bulletin published by the DOJ's National Institute of Corrections found that almost 80% of women in jail were mothers of young children. So if we zoom out and take a look at the numbers of all incarcerated women, we're going to see staggering statistics. Since 1980, the number of women locked up in state and federal prisons has increased almost ninefold, growing at a rate twice that of men. A 2012 study published by the DOJ's Bureau of Justice Assistance found that 86% of women in jail were survivors of sexual assault and 77% were survivors of partner violence. If we continue to dive into these demographics, what else will we find there? Two-thirds of people sitting in jail haven't been 
convicted of the crime that they were arrested for. And you heard that right. Two-thirds of folks in jail are not there because they've been found guilty of a crime. They're just there, waiting. Now, many are too poor to make bail, and they're going to be forced to remain behind bars until they either go to trial or take a plea deal. And those who are detained pre-trial are much more likely to be convicted and sentenced to longer prison terms. In a 2019 report from the Prison Policy Initiative, they found that poverty, quote, plays a central role in mass incarceration, end quote, noting that, quote, people in prison and jail are disproportionately poor compared to the overall U.S. population, end quote. The report goes on to accuse the criminal justice system of essentially punishing people for poverty, most notably when it comes to the issue of money bail. The report notes that when it comes to bail, the median felony bail bond amount is $10,000 or the equivalent of eight months of income for the typical detained defendant. Here's how Jessica weighed in. Poor people are more likely to be locked up than rich people. I think Brian Stevenson said it best when he said he'd rather be uh, guilty and rich than poor and innocent in this country. For the record, in a 2012 TED Talk, Stevenson actually said this. We have a system of justice in this country that treats you much better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. But the sentiment is the same and one that Jessica has experienced personally. I look back on my own childhood. I, I broke every rule there was, every law there was as a kid. I was out there doing all sorts of stupid things. And because I was white and because I lived in a privileged community, uh, the police would pick me up and they would call my parents from the station and they would bring me home and they'd tell me not to do it again or give me community service. And finally, when my parents had had enough, they shipped me off to boarding school because they had the resources and could afford to do that. Most people don't have those kind of opportunities and most people aren't given the assumption that You know, if they can just get another chance, they're going to be able to straighten their life out. And I knew kids who grew up in the city right next to mine. They didn't get that second chance. They they certainly didn't get the third, fourth, fifth, 500th chances that I was. They were taken straight to juvenile hall instead of home. That's not how our justice system is supposed to have been set up, right? We're supposed to have equality under the law. We're supposed to all have an equal shot and all be considered innocent until proven guilty. But given that income and wealth gaps persist between black and Latino households versus their white counterparts, black and brown folks are more likely to suffer from the crime of being poor in America, further exacerbating the racial inequities in the system. I asked Phaedra to break that down for us. These are people who are getting arrested for technical violations, for being poor, for being black and brown. And so now when you say that they're just being arrested for being poor, black or brown or technical violations, what are you talking about? Because somebody listening to this might say, you know, you lost me. I don't believe anybody's being arrested for being poor. What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm talking about things like if you get a traffic ticket, you know, let's let's just let's let's walk through the path of a traffic ticket. If you get a traffic ticket, you often get a piece of paper. If you lose that piece of paper, there's no law that requires that the jurisdiction that gave you a ticket send you a notice about it. Mm. So if you lose that ticket and you don't show up for court in a place like Indiana, you automatically get your driver's license suspended. 
And then it means you're driving around on a suspended driver's license with a warrant out. And you may not even know that. And you may not have known it. They, they don't send you a notice that says, hey, you have a suspended driver's license. Hey, you have that. And so things like when you think about people who move a lot because they don't own a home or they can't um, afford to stay in one place and their income is variable, just the address changing on your driver's license has a significant impact. And then in a lot of places, you can't pay a ticket with a credit card. People don't know you still need a money order. So you need the cash when you get it. Mm. You can't make a payment plan in a lot of places. You can't say, I don't have an ability to pay. So when we talk about people going to jail for, for really small infractions, it's the reality is you could have a small moving violation and end up in jail for that. Wow. And that's what we talk about, the imprisonment of poor black and brown people. Now, what Phaedra is highlighting here is why some critics of the system assert, with good reason, that some of these laws are too tough and the system is biased against the poor and people of color. But crime did go down. Now, the Brennan Center has studied the effectiveness of mass incarceration on decreasing crime. So I asked Inamai, did it work? So there's an unfortunate myth that mass incarceration helped decrease crime, but that's actually not the case at all. We've actually done a comprehensive study looking at the relationship between crime and incarceration, showing that there is actually very little correlation. And in many cases, sending someone to prison can actually increase their recidivism and increase crime upon release. So that's, I mean, I think that's the thought was that this was going to help bring down crime, but that actually wasn't the case. In fact, a 2015 report published by the Britain Center for Justice titled What Caused the Crime Decline concluded that the criminal justice policies that led to mass incarceration, quote, were not the main drivers of the crime decline. In fact, quote, Increased incarceration has been declining in its effectiveness as a crime control tactic for more than 30 years, end quote. Furthermore, the report stated that since 1990, the effect of mass incarceration on crime rates has been limited, and since 2000, it has been, and I'm quoting here, non-existent. So if mass incarceration was not largely responsible for the drop in crime, what was? According to that same Brennan Center report, income growth, an aging population, and smarter, data-driven policing were much more important factors than locking up millions of Americans. So what happens once you're out of the system? If you do manage to make it out, at least it's easy to stay out, right? Just don't get in trouble. Well, not exactly. You know, when I was on parole in Michigan... I remember uh, a time I almost went back to prison, and it was because they have these immediate drug tests that they do, and because mm-hmm. the test was just taking forever to come back, and I knew I hadn't consumed any marijuana or anything of that nature, my parole officer, who, you know, for the most part was trying to be supportive, completely flipped and was like, if this doesn't come back, you're going back to prison. And that's on the next episode of Incarceration Incorporated. 
For more on the criminal justice system, check out my docu-series called The Redemption Project. It airs on Sunday nights from 9 p.m. East Coast and West Coast on CNN. You can also find it on CNN.com slash go. I take you into the room as people who have caused harm and gone to prison for that get face-to-face with the people whom they hurt, and they have a conversation for the first time, face-to-face. You get a chance to witness restorative justice. It's a powerful process. We're going to talk about it later on in this podcast. You can also visit CNN.com slash redemption to learn more. If you like this episode, head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app and subscribe. And leave us ratings and a comment while you're there. This episode was produced by Amy Eason, Elizabeth Roberts, and Emma Sislowski. Special thanks to Andy Lichtenfeld and Gus Alexander at the Reform Alliance. I'm your host, Van Jones. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.